0: All right, good morning. We're going to actually start off today in Matthew 17, if you want to go there. I do not have my customary PowerPoints, and that is my fault, but I'll, I'll still read Yes, Connie can, can scold me later. That is definitely my fault. Oh, oh, wow. I don't even know what to say to that. Wow. Yeah, Eddie even had a an offering PowerPoint. Why don't I get that? I don't. I <laughs> okay, okay. I just never see it. Okay, okay. All right, well, we're going to start off in Matthew 17. Let's go ahead and open a word of prayer. Lord, thank you so much for this opportunity to, uh Lord, just pray that you do speak through through this message and through me. Thank you for this church family that we. We get to have fun with each other, but also get to grow in You and learn something from You today, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So I'm going to start off in Matthew 17. And right at the beginning there, verses 1 through 3. This is often subtitled the um, Mount of Transfiguration or something like that. After six days, Jesus took with Him Peter, James, and John... The brother of James led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun. His clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah, Elijah, excuse me, Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Okay, so Jesus selects these kind of three disciples that are really close to him. Takes them up on this mountain where they're away from everybody, and transforms, transfigures in front of them, showing his his true form, not just a human form, but this glorious, bright form. And Moses and Elijah appear and start talking to Jesus right in front of these three disciples. Moses and Elijah are the most iconic. Figures from, from the Jewish faith. I mean, from the Old Testament, there's nobody bigger than Moses and Elijah. You can say, you know, there's a, you know, King David and King Solomon were, would be big names. There's other big names, but there's really nobody that defines the Jewish faith quite like Moses and Elijah. Moses was the lawgiver, led them out of Egypt, led them to the promised land. Elijah was this incredible prophet during some of the darkest times of uh, during the times of ahab and jezebel and the really dark times during uh the kingdoms when the kingdoms during the time the kingdoms were split elijah was this amazing prophet and he is said that he's like the uh the herald of the messiah like there will be one that comes in the spirit of elijah right before the messiah so the and he's also raptured away. He doesn't die like a normal person. He's carried in a whirlwind to heaven. So the, these are huge figures, and I want to talk about that because the title of my message this morning is "We Want Superheroes." That is um, having a little fun with that title, but the the concept is we really like having these figures, these people that we look at and we say, "Wow, they're just amazing." They are more than human. They are, there's something really special about these people and we want to put them on a pedestal. We want to, we want to say, yeah, these, th- these people, these guys, they had it all together. They never failed. They are, they are like superheroes to us. And I want to talk about that today because I want to look at these two guys and a third one and I want to see is this really what scripture tells us? Does scripture tell us that there are, that there are these people that we can just look at and just put on a pedestal and say, wow, these people have it all together. And that's what inspires us is these people were something more than human or are they actually relatable human beings who had struggles, who failed, and God is the one who accomplished great things through them? Which one is it? Let's explore that. So let's talk about Moses for a little bit. Famous guy from the Old Testament. I cannot help but picture, because of growing up watching the Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston, that's what I picture. Several things in it not biblically accurate, but I love that movie. Um... Still, have not, I don't think I've still convinced Tracy to watch it. Something about a four and a half hour movie; she just doesn't necessarily want. To but it's a great movie. But Charlton Heston's this this big iconic character. That's exactly kind of the thing I'm talking about. Charlton Heston's such an impressive character in that movie. And there's several things in that movie that are not biblically accurate. Moses was not nearly that impressive or imposing. <laughs> So in Exodus 4, let me build up a little bit to what we're going to, what we're reading here. Moses, uh, the, uh, Pharaoh at the time when he was born was trying to reduce the number of, uh, Hebrews being born. Uh, they're concerned the population was getting out of hand. Uh, the Egyptians had enslaved the Hebrews and they were, they, they kill off a bunch of the, uh, firstborn, uh, um, male children in this, are uh, the male children at that time to kill off a bunch of them for Hebrews and Moses mother successfully hides him he's actually found by the Pharaoh's daughter brought into the Pharaoh's household grows up in Pharaoh's household is educated uh, as in it as a would have received a great education and a, a great life uh, they knew he was Hebrew there's unlike the movie theres there's no reason to think that there was any confusion about the fact that he was Hebrew, but he was raised in an Egyptian household. Uh, he sees an Egyptian abusing a Hebrew, and he kills this Egyptian and hides the body, and he's discovered. The other Hebrews know about it. The Pharaoh finds out about it. At the Pharaoh at that time, Moses would have been around 40 at this time, and the Pharaoh issues a death sentence to him, and Moses has to get out of there. He, he runs for his life. Ends up with uh, nomadic uh, tribes, gets married, has kids, spends about forty years there, and presumably that's it for Moses. He's going to spend the rest of his days with uh, nomadic tribes, and he's with the house of Jethro, and he's has a wife and is, and grown children, and presumably that's about it for him. You would think. think that's that would be his story. He's about eighty years old at that point. And then he sees a burning bush. A bush on fire, but it's not consumed. Decides to check it out, and God starts speaking to him. Gives him this incredible mission, incredible assignment. You're going to go back, and you're going to lead... You're going to do these miracles in front of Pharaoh, and uh, you're going to lead the Hebrews out of slavery and, and into the Promised Land. And Okay, wow. And we... We love that part. We study that part. We talk about that a lot. Yeah, the burning bush. And Moses goes back to Pharaoh and does these miracles. Pharaoh refuses. And then there's these plagues. And then they exit that through the Red Sea. And we skip over an interesting little part here in Exodus 4, verses 24, where Moses. there's, a, there's some time between Moses leaves the house of Jethro, and he's got his wife and his children, presumably grown children at this point, with him. He's going back. He's going to meet up with Aaron because he insisted that when he's talking to God in the burning bush, he insisted that somebody else do the talking. He's like, I'm not good with words. He was not Charlton Heston. He's like, I'm not good with this. And God actually gets irritated with him and says, OK, fine, I'll, uh, your brother Aaron will do the talking. But God's working with him here. May uh, he even describes God getting angry with him at this point understand God's called Moses to something so big and so serious that God kind of has to be a little tough on him. Just understand that. So he's on his way back to meet up with his brother. This is before he's met with Pharaoh. Exodus 4 verses 24. And keep in mind that Moses has been given this very important covenant of circumcision. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met Moses and was about to kill him. Some translations say about to kill Moses' son. So keep that in mind. But uh, Zipporah, Moses' wife, took a flint knife, cut off her, scons, her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it. Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me, she said. So the Lord let him alone. At that time, she said, blood, bridegroom of blood, referring to circumcision. Okay, so what happened here? Moses failed. He was supposed to make sure the males in his household were circumcised. That was a big deal. That was something that was going to be set, that he was going to carry forward to the entire uh, nation of Israel. This was, this was very important. And he messed up. He didn't make sure it was done. And he's confronted by the Lord, even to the point of life and death. His wife has to step in and do what Moses should have done. And this is Moses after he's been shown these miracles. He's seen the burning bush. He's been, God has shown him, you can throw down a staff and it'll become a snake. And you can put your hand in your cloak and it'll be covered with leprosy. And then it'll be healed. And he has these really uh, miraculous signs. He's supposed to show the leaders of the Hebrews and Pharaoh But he messed up on something. And we and it's not something we often talk about. But Moses really made a mistake here. And if you try to judge Moses based on this moment in his life, you'd say, This guy doesn't have it together. This guy, this guy's messed up. He's not he just made a really big mistake in the middle of something very important. And that's exactly what I want to talk about today. What do you do when you're looking at somebody and they've made a mistake? Or if they've done something in the middle of something important, are you going to write them off, or are you going to realize that God's still working in that person? And that's where we're going today. So so this is Moses. This is an icon of our of our faith, and he's he's messed up, made a big mistake here. His wife has had to step in, take care of it now. Is is that the end for Moses? Mm, of course not. We know he goes on and all the uh, plagues of Egypt, leads the children of Israel out, spends forty years in the wilderness, roughly. The end of his story, Deuteronomy thirty four, verses nine, introduces and it doesn't introduce, it tell, it tells us the next person who follows after Moses, but it tells us the kind of a little summary one of those verses that tells you, okay, the end of this person's life, what do you say about them? Deuteronomy 34, verse 9. Now Joshua, son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom because Moses laid his hands on him. So the Israelites listened to him and did what the Lord had commanded Moses. Since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. We see during Moses' life, he repeatedly says he speaks to the Lord face-to-face. And this is what's called a Christophany or a mesonophany, the image of the Messiah appearing in the Old Testament. Jesus, Him speaking face-to-face with Jesus like a friend. Very unique. God even highlights it at times in Scripture and says, there's nobody else that I talk to -to face-to-face like Moses. And we see Moses appearing at the Mount of Transfiguration. You look at that. You look at his overall story. You say, "Wow, amazing!" And yet, in the middle of that story, there is this really big uh, mess up that he did. So, if you if you looked at that one incident, and that's all you knew of him, you'd say a failure. You look at his overall life and look what God accomplished through him. So, we have just mentioned this other guy, Joshua, though. So Moses dies. He does die. Uh, without entering the Promised Land, f- due to another mistake, where he strikes that he disobeys God and strikes a rock symbolically instead of speaking to it as he was supposed to in the wilderness, he misses out on seeing the Promised Land. But so I guess he wasn't really that he wasn't really a superhero. He was a guy that God did amazing things through. So now we've got this guy. Joshua his successor well maybe maybe we'll do better with Joshua maybe he will live up to everything that we would expect an icon to, uh, or a hero to live up to uh i'm thinking a little bit of this there was a line i don't know if you've ever seen them but there was a christian uh, christian company that made a line of toys and they made figures like Noah and other characters, but they made them all real muscular. They look like superhero characters. So Noah had these massive muscles and this impressive guy and was like, oh, come on. Okay. You know, they're trying, but but still, that's a little bit of what I'd like for you to picture today. Do we act like these characters, not just these, but in our own lives, our leaders or people that we look at, our fellow believers, we're we're, we're doing a lot of ministry now as as even just individuals. What are we expecting out of leadership or those around us? Are we expecting, hey, you you have to have it all together. You can't make a mistake. You can't do that or that. Or are we realizing that we're all humans? Let's look at Joshua. And there's a... Verse in Joshua that people love to quote, for me and my house we will serve the Lord. And a lot of people tell you that's their favorite verse in in the book of Joshua. And there's a, Joshua had, there's kind of this warrior, go get him kind of guy, and you, he has these great quotes. This is actually my favorite part of Joshua, Joshua 7, verse 6. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell face down to the ground before the ark of the Lord, remaining there till evening. The elders of Israel did the same and sprinkled dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, sovereign Lord, why did you ever bring this people across the Jordan to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? If only we had been content to stay on the other side of the Jordan. That is a huge phrase. I need to add some context to that. Joshua, what's he saying? He's saying, "God, you should have just canceled the whole promised land thing. I'm just going to give up on it totally." This is Joshua having a meltdown. We are defeated. We're done. I'm ready to give up. It's all. It's all gone. It's all. It's all for nothing. Joshua, at this point, is the leader of children of Israel. We first meet Joshua back right after they come out of Egypt, and he's leading their military forces. So he is a grown man during the plagues. He's seen all the plagues. He's seen all the miracles. He went through the Red Sea. He was one of the only two. Remember the 12 spies they send into the land very early on, and two have a good report? and say, God has given us this land, and the ten are saying, no, the giants are going to kill us. Joshua is one of those two spies that says, We've, this land is ours. He and Caleb are the only two people that make it all the way through the wilderness and go into the promised land. Joshua is described as Moses would meet with God face to face and then leave, and Joshua would, would linger and just stay in the presence of God. This is, this is a guy that you would look at and go, this guy must be, you know, this just super heroic character. I mean, he, look at all he's done. Now he's taking, now he's following Moses' footsteps. That's huge shoes to fill. But he's doing that. He's leading them. And what has he just seen? Well, they just miraculously crossed the Jordan River and miraculously defeated Jericho at this point. The walls of Jericho fell down and they went in and took the city. And then, uh, God warned them, don't take any of the loot from Jericho. Leave it. Jericho, God pronounces this curse on it, and it is just uh, an accursed place, and don't even, don't even take anything from it. But somebody in the tribe does. Somebody in the children of Israel takes some of these spoils, and the next little town, which is nothing, they've just overcome Jericho. It's, It's the, toughest place in that region, and now they're going up against this little town. They're like, "Yeah, okay. Send a small group, and they lose. Send a bigger group, and they lose. And this is where Joshua has, this is Joshua's response. So when you read this, this is after a defeat from a small town where they've just had a miraculous victory, this m- m- huge victory. And I see this a lot in Scripture, seems like right after a big victory, somebody suffers a pretty big defeat (laughs) or a pretty big test or discouragement. So Joshua tore his clothes. He falls face down the ground before the ark. He says, and this is a promise that is like 500 years old at this point given to Abraham. You're going to go and inherit this promised land. And Joshua is like, forget it. It's been the past forty years anticipating this promise, and he's saying no nope, because they lost a fight. And his belief is, let's go on and read what he what he what's his mindset. What's what's happening here? Uh, verse seven. Joshua said, "Alas, Sovereign Lord, why did you ever bring this people across the Jordan? to Deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? If we had been content to stay on the other side of the Jordan, pardon your servant, Lord. What can I say?" Now that Israel has been routed by its enemies, the Canaanites and the other people of the country will hear about this. They will surround us. They will wipe out your your name from the earth. They'll wipe out our name from the earth. What then will you do for your own great name? Is it fair for me to say that Joshua is discouraged at this point? He's, He's down. He is... He's got He's got his mindset is swirling. We should have never tried this. We should have just been content on the other side of the Jordan. We're going to get wiped out now that we've been beaten. Other places know that we can lose. They're going to surround us and kill us all. And the Lord responds, stand up. What are you doing down on your face? love that. And God goes on to tell them, the only reason you're losing is that you've got some sin in the camp. You're going to consecrate yourself. I'm going to show you who's committed the sin. You're going to take care of it and you're going to move on. But if I'm one of those elders with Joshua, what would I think at that point? I see Josh, like, our leader is just giving up. He's saying we should have shouldn't even have tried this. We're 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 a mess. The promise that we've held on to our entire lives is nothing. He's seen all these miraculous signs. He's ready to give up. How would you? How would you judge that person at that point? What would you think? Start thinking. He's he's done. He's 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 lost it. I love God's response. He he goes. What? My my Jason paraphrase. God comes in and was like, stand up. What do you? What are you doing on your face? What are you doing in the dirt? (laughs) Joshua thinks he's doing the right thing. He's he's throwing he's down on the face, he's throwing dirt and ash on him, and he's he's down on the on the ground, and God's like, Stand up, what are you doing? Go take care of this issue and you're gonna be fine. And how does the story end? What happens to Joshua? Does he succeed? Does he fail? Was that was that it for him? Joshua twenty-four Verse 31, Israel served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had experienced everything the Lord had done for Israel. that's That's the way to sum up your life right there. Israel failed afterwards, repeatedly during the time of the Judges, or after the book of Judges that follows this. You see them go through these cycles, but not on Joshua's watch. As long as he was around and the elders around with him, Israel served the Lord during that time. You look at his story, you look, what a success. But if all you knew of him was that if you tried to to judge him at that moment, you'd say, well, wow, that guy's a failure. But then you look at his overall story and you go, that guy's a success. That was a huge success for that country to serve the Lord during his entire lifetime. I saw a uh, phrase the other day, I want to adapt it a little bit, said, if your dreams don't scare you, you're not dreaming big enough. I would amend that and say, if the Lord, if the vision the Lord's given you doesn't scare you, you haven't seen the big enough vision yet. Because when I, uh, when I think about what the Lord has spoken over my life, what He's said about this church, there's that point where you go, that's actually a little scary. That's, a little, that's too big for me. That's too big for this church. That's really where, kind of, that's really where we're supposed to be, is, is going after a vision that's just that's too big. It's too big for us, but God can do it. And it forces us to depend on the Lord. All of these, these summations, notice Moses. What's the credit for Moses? Well, he knew the Lord face to face. What's the credit for Joshua. He had he and those elders had experienced everything the Lord had done for Israel. You notice how it keeps coming back to God. It keeps saying this. These are this is how these these people succeeded was because of God. Now, maybe it's just these guys. Maybe if we look at Elijah, we'll just see this incredible you know superhero that was just really impressive. Now, and I don't want to take away all of these all of these people God did amazing things through them and they were obedient and faithful even when it was hard but what i want to make sure so i don't want anybody to you know lose respect for them or anything but i want us to get a realistic idea of these were actual relatable people that had they and i've just seen i guess it's from growing up in church or something i've seen too many times where Somebody in the church struggles and other people say, oh, I've lost all respect for that person. Look how they behaved. Uh, I, I won't, I, I'm gonna leave that church because of how so-and-so acted. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, they, I've just seen too many people write off a believer because they had a struggle or they react, they handled something poorly or had a bad day for that matter, or had a time in their life where they were discouraged, and I've seen to me, people just say, I've just lost all respect for them, I'll just write them off. That's what I'm talking about today. For us to not do that. For us to understand people are going to go through some tough times, and yet their story can turn out to glorify God in an amazing way. Let's look at Elijah. You talk about kind of... Uh, top tier figures in scripture. Elijah's way up there. There's an interesting discussion. I can't, I can't solve the debate for you, but there's an interesting debate about who the two witnesses are in the book of Revelation. And a lot of people believe it's Moses and Elijah. Some people say it's Enoch and Elijah because those were the only two who were raptured and didn't see death, that they will come back. Some say Based on the characteristics, the miracles, the two witnesses do. It sounds like Moses and Elijah. Either way, they tend to include Elijah in that list. Elijah's considered the the ministry he did and the way he was taken to heaven are extremely uh, unique. So, First Kings chapter 19. Again, going to set the stage for you. Elijah is ministering, ministering during the time of Ahab and Jezebel. Very dark time in the kingdom of Israel. You got Israel and Judah have split. Israel had nothing but bad kings. And Ahab and Jezebel were particularly bad. And this prophet Elijah rises up. God raises up Elijah. And Elijah has this confrontation. One of my favorite Bible stories as a kid. Still one of my favorite. They go up on this mountain, and Elijah says, okay, you know, Jezebel maintained this staff of 850 false, false prophets, 450 for Baal and another 400 for, uh, for Asherah. And he says, okay, you all get together, and you pray to your gods and try to call down fire, and then I'll pray to the to one true God of Israel and, and call down fire, and we'll see who wins. So they set up their sacrifice, uh, oxen, slaughter their sacrifice, set up an altar, and they pray to their gods for hours. They do all kinds of pagan ritual, rituals. They, they dance. They cut themselves. They do all kinds of crazy things trying to get some response from their god. And nothing happens. And Elijah says, okay, I've got my altar and I've got this ox on it. I want you to soak it with water. Make it, make it very hard to burn. Soak the whole place with water. Dig a trench around it. Soak that with water. And he prays a simple prayer. And fire comes down from God. Not only, and consumes, not only the ox, consumes all the water and consumes the stones that the altar was made of. This incredibly intense, miraculous fire comes down from heaven. Changes, uh, changes the attitude of the, all the people who witness it. And they slaughter those 850 false prophets or killed. Right after that Elijah, there's been a huge drought, and Elijah prays uh for the drought to end and you kind of and he you see the a lot of charismatic circles like to refer to they sees a cloud the size of a man's hand, and he says there's going to be rain, and he outruns ahab Ahab is in a chariot, and Elijah miraculously outruns him back to the town and the rain's come, and we love that story and then there's chapter nineteen right after that. So you know Elijah's seen God do amazing things and just had a huge victory. And then chapter 19. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah and said, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. She's saying, You killed my prophets, so I'm going to kill you today. So what is this, the man, this man of God's the superhero's response to this. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. That pretty well sums it up. (laughs) Okay. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went on a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors'. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. Is it fair to say that he is down at this point? He's he's like I I'm done. I'm tired. Um, I'm scared for my life. I'm no better than those that came before me. I'm just done. There's a whole section there where God has a sends an angel to him, feeds him actually tells him to journey, over this 40-day journey across uh, the wilderness ends up in a cave. So later on in verse 13, he's hiding in a cave now. So our iconic, superheroic figure has run for his life, has just laid down under, the, under a bush and said, let me die, and now he's hiding in a cave. And God starts revealing himself, reveals this incredibly violent wind comes by the cave. He talks about even shattering rock. There's an earthquake. There's a fire that burns across this mountain. And then there's a small voice described as a whisper. And God had told Elijah... uh, come and stand at the entrance of the cave and I'll speak to you. And this incredible show of power and then speaks to him in this small voice and says, when Elijah heard it, he put his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. And I love this. And the voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? God, again, similar to, to uh, Joshua. What are you doing? How, how many of us... How many of us are glad that sometimes God just says, what, what are you doing? And didn't strike him dead, didn't curse him, didn't do something. He just says, what, what are you doing? Anybody else here need that sometimes? Where you have the Holy Spirit inside you say, just, what, what are you doing? Why are you feeling this way? Why are you acting this way? What, what are you doing? So what are you doing here, Elijah? He responds, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. There are a lot of people in ministry. Pastoral ministry is one of the toughest things a person can be called to. And I know that, oh yes, we have Pastor Chad and we have Those of us who are elders, but all of us here, we know we are called to minister. And that's a lot of what we're doing at the Evansville campus now. We're kind of fueling up here to to minister there. There There are points in ministry. I have had family members. I've seen friends. I've seen people quit the ministry. I've seen people give up on their faith who were ministers, preachers of churches, and end up renouncing their faith so discouraged by how they've been treated by people. And I want us to be aware of that. I want us to pay it to realize how much that's a problem in the church. I want us to brace for it and not be guilty of it. Also, I want us to encourage one another as ministers, not tear down, not look at somebody who is down and say, "Well, just write them off. They're not going to God. God can't do anything with them." Look, look at hell. Look at look at the struggle they're having. Sometimes that struggle is exactly what God takes and turns around and glorifies His name. Right after this, Elijah finds Elisha. And, you know, right in between here you have this, his, probably his greatest victory against false prophets and his most important discovery is his protege Elisha. And in between is this very down time where he's very discouraged and ready to give up. That's part, that's part of our stories as, as believers. We're going to have those times. Don't give up. Don't, don't discourage or write off somebody else who's going through those times. God tells him, look, I have 7,000 that I've preserved. See, Elijah, see, Elijah's perspective is skewed. He's, he's afraid and his, his, he's not seeing clearly. And God has to straighten him out. So is that it for Elijah? How does, how does his story end up? Wrapping up. In 2 Kings 2, we see that as they walked along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them, Elijah and Elisha. They're together. This chariot of fire comes between them, separates them, and Elijah goes up to heaven in a whirlwind. And it is said that someone in his, like Elijah, will precede the Messiah, we you know, John the Baptist. We see Elijah on the Mount of Transfiguration and a lot of people believe he'll end up being one of the two witnesses. Wonderfully successful story and in the middle of it is this very discouraged, down, ready to give up kind of time. We've looked at examples of Moses being incompetent, Joshua being discouraged and Elijah full of fear and yet God... Glorify himself through all of them. I want to revisit Matthew seventeen now. And I want to talk to you a l- little bit. This this will actually be my closing verse, will be in Matthew 17 once again. I want to look back at this verse again with with what we've looked at. And I tell you personally, I wanted to really turn this message into something that said uh don't beat up on yourself if you're discouraged. And yes, I do want to say that. But the Lord, when this message really kind of dropped into my spirit Wednesday morning and ever since, the Lord keeps bringing me back to, you need to be patient with other people when they're going through this time. I don't know why He keeps bringing that back to me. I guess that's what we need to hear this morning. Because I would want to take this and say, hey, if you're feeling down, let me, let me encourage you. And then it keeps going, shifting back to, when you see someone else struggling don't write them off don't tear them down encourage them be patient with them be part of the answer not part of the problem just be patient with one another and it's okay it, even a very godly person has struggles and has a downtime that's okay god has god works through that don't get too discouraged if they are, uh, if they're failing, and if the uh, worship team does want to come up for for a closing, here, let me read through Matthew seventeen. Just then, there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus, and what's Peter's response? Peter says to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. You appreciate where Peter's head is at here, but that's not what God was revealing to him. He says, Let's honor of Moses and Elijah. I appreciate it. You like where his head's at, you like where his heart is. Okay. He wants to, he wants to honor Moses and Elijah. Verse 5, while he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them. A voice from the cloud said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said, don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. I read that. I knew this was a verse to start with. I didn't realize I was going to end with it. And I read that, and all that jumped off the page at me. That's exactly what we're trying to get to, the point where we see no one except Jesus. We're not seeing the celebrity of Moses and Elijah, whatever our expectations are there. We're not seeing the the, the superheroes the where we expect that person's supposed to have it all together. We look up, and we see no one except Jesus. And that's that's the challenge today. When, not if, when we see someone that we highly respect in the Lord, and we see them mess up or make a mistake or they're discouraged or whatever going on, how are we going to react? Is it my superheroes failed me? I'm 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 upset. I'm angry at the, at that. I'm disappointed. Or is it? Let's see how God works through this being patient with that person. So I want to invite us all to have a little bit of prayer time, a little bit of reflection on that. What is that going to look like? What does that look like now? Is there an issue now that that needs to be addressed? Is there, if not, there probably will be at some point. Through our Christian walk, there's going to be a time where we'll be tested in this. I Invite us to pray together. Uh, of course, if anybody needs prayer, myself, the other elders, all, we'd be happy to gather around and pray for you for anything that you need. But just take a little bit of time, reflect, and, and see what God wants to do with this. Would you want to come up and pray us out today? Jesus, Heavenly Father, Lord, God, we love you today, God. We praise you, God, for your spirit, Lord, and we thank you, God, for the worship, Lord. God and we thank you, Lord, for the message brought forth today, Father Lord. It was spot on, Father Lord. Jesus, God, and I thank you for every word that came out of Jason's mouth today, Lord, was from you, Lord. And I thank you for it, God. Just help us to grow, Lord, and learn from the message that we received today, Father Lord. And God, and as we prepare to um, head to Evansville, Father Lord, the ones that are going, God, we pray to God for protection upon them, Father Lord. And God, let the same Spirit, Lord, that we have here, Lord be ushered to the campus in Evansville, Father Lord, where your work will be done today. In the name of Jesus.